0: Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question is it queer baiting, queer coding,
1: or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Steve and Bucky from the MCU. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey.
0: Have you ever been watching a movie or TV show and seen two characters, most likely cis men, repeatedly have clearly emotionally intimate and potentially sexually charged encounters, but that show or movie will not let them kiss? And it forces you, the viewer, to yell, let the boys kiss. If yes, this might be the podcast for you. So what is this phenomenon?
1: Well, it might be queer baiting which is usually defined as a writer implying but never making explicit a same-sex romance in a work of fiction in an effort to attract a queer audience without alienating their straight audience.
0: It might be queer coding, which is when a creator uses subtext to indicate that a character is queer, but it's never made explicit in the
1: text. It might even be queer canon. The canon of a work of fiction is the official text, So when a creator lets the boys kiss, that's queer canon.
0: So what's our goal with this podcast?
1: I'd say we're broadly interested in this intersection between creators and fans, and queer baiting is kind of a good lens through which to view their interactions.
0: Right. So on the one hand, the experience we described at the top of yelling at our screen, let the boys kiss, is one we've both had, so it's something we can relate to.
1: Oh boy, can we.
0: Uh, and at the same time, right? This is definitely something that people are passionate about. So we expect to see a lot of fan production around it, and we think it's a, a lens that'll really allow us to, to sink our teeth into a lot of material and content.
1: So who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Why are we doing this?
0: So we're just a couple of gal pals, a couple of friends, longtime buddies that are interested in this topic, maybe you know, for slightly different reasons. Uh, so for instance? Why does this interest you specifically?
1: Well, for me, it's sort of a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller sort of situation. I've been tangentially involved in fandom for a long time. Uh, I read some fan fiction. I follow some folks on Tumblr. I love a good gif set. But I've never participated in the sense of creating content or even really interacting With other people online about it. So for me, it's just a way to dig into this phenomenon that I'm fascinated by where fans expand on worlds created by writers. How about you? What's your connection to the topic? So
0: I think I'm coming at it from maybe even one more step removed. I've definitely always been interested in the type of fiction that seems to really um, engender very active fan communities. Uh, and while I certainly enjoy talking about the things I love, I enjoy a critical essay, a critique, uh, I've never been really into what is called quote unquote transformative fandom. So, this idea of fans. Uh, creating fan works or somehow transforming the fiction into something new. Uh, But I do obviously understand that it appeals
1: to a lot of people.
0: (laughs) Uh, and I'm very interested in why that is and what motivates people to participate in the production and consumption of fan fiction and fan theories, et cetera. Uh, And I think like you, it's something I've been interested in for a long time, but have never found the time to really dive into. And this podcast is going to be Uh, a great reason to do that so i'm excited about this project and who knows maybe by the end of it i'll be a as they say a changed man and won't be able to keep me
1: from reading fan fiction i think i've got a new goal here and that's producing a fan fiction convert in you
0: Well, we'll see what happens
1: so this is our first podcast
0: maddie that's exciting
1: it is everybody welcome to the inaugural let the boys kiss uh, so what we're going to be doing here today is I think we mentioned at
0: the top is talking about Steve and Bucky, a.k.a. Good, old Stucky. Good old Stucky, Captain America, the Winter Soldier,
1: Captain Soldier, <laughs> Captain whatever, Soldier, as we like to call them, whatever you want to call them. Um,
0: I think we s- decided to start with this one, right, because we felt like it was going to be a pretty manageable one to tackle first.
1: Yeah, it's movies. We don't have to worry about seasons and seasons of television shows. And also, I think it's a pretty approachable ship. I think probably most people <laughs> have seen these movies and are probably aware, if, even if you're not deeply uh, invested in queer fandom, that there are people out there shipping these too.
0: Yes. So what are the sources that we're looking at for this podcast?
1: Neither of us have read any of the comics, so we'll be sticking to just the movies, which is the three Captain America movies, and then the two Avengers movies that the two of them are in together.
0: Uh, I think it's probably worth noting that A, spoilers.
1: Yes, (laughs) many, many spoilers. If you have not seen these movies, and this is your first experience of what's happening, maybe check back in once you've watched them. But also, we are not going to be doing a full recap of everything that happens in the movies because it will just be too much and irrelevant. So when it comes to recap, we're really just going to be going through the important beats of their relationship.
0: Yes. So if you haven't seen the films, there could be a little context lacking, but I think it'll still all make sense. Um, Before we get into it, Maddie, are you generally an MCU fan?
1: I would say so. I think of myself as a strong, casual fan, I think. I've seen almost all of the movies, not the first two Thor movies or the Ed Norton Hulk, which I maintain does not count as canon in this universe. Uh,
0: And I have seen all of the movies except the Ed Norton Hulk. So it's a good thing we're not covering some kind of Hulk ship.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What are the Hulk ships?
0: I don't know. I mean, science bros, but I don't think that even really includes. Well, no, the other half of the science bros was not in that, right? Or is Tony in it? He shows up at the end. I think he's a post-credits stinger, but I don't think he interacts with the Hulk. He talks to the general guy who then makes them sign the accords later, whatever that guy's name is. Doesn't count.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Doesn't count. There's no ship there.
0: Yes. Um, But yes, I think I'm also an MCU fan, Captain America is, in fact, my favorite within the MCU. So always with the white bread superheroes for you, I love them. Um, <laughs> so I I rewatched these movies before we did this just to fully refresh, and it was a delightful thing to do.
1: I enjoyed it. So with that said, I guess we should do our brief walk through the history of Steve and Bucky in the canon. And so we start with Captain America, the first Avenger the first in his series of films directed by Joe Johnston, written by Marcus and McFeely, who happened to be the two who write every one of these Captain America movies. Uh, this came out all the way back in 2011, if you can remember that far back. So t- talk me through the important beats of their relationship in that movie.
0: So the background for Steve and Bucky, right, is they're like lifelong childhood friends. They grew up together. They have each other's backs. They're besties. Um, also the, it's the 40s yeah that's probably important too we're in the past yeah. it's world war ii times we learned that they're devoted to each other and they have a a line that represents this uh they they say to each other repeatedly i think throughout the first one but then also throughout the franchise as well i'm with you until the end of the line oh ain't sweet. that sweet so what happens in the relationship is Because it's the 1940s. Right. Bucky goes off to war and Steve is not able to go off to war initially because he is too weak and sickly. So sickly. Never has there been a sicklier character. But if you're aware of Captain America, you know, he goes through this super soldier program. He becomes a super soldier. A couple of things happen, but sort of the next important step in their relationship is uh, Bucky is captured behind enemy lines and Steve breaks a direct order. To go and save his friend. Right. <laughs> so when Steve goes to rescue Bucky, uh, he's not with the other prisoners. He's been taken somewhere else. Uh, and it turns out that he's already being uh, brainwashed a little bit, which again becomes important in later movies. Uh, and Steve is able to break him out of his stupor by, of course, saying, Bucky, it's me, Steve. Like he goes, Steve. <laughs> and uh, they're able to escape. There is a moment as they're escaping as well where uh, it looks like Steve's not going to make it, and Bucky, of course, yells back, not without you. <laughs>
1: oh, that's quite lovely.
0: Yes. So once they escape from uh, where they're captured, uh, Steve and Bucky and a number of other soldiers that are, are rescued from that facility go on a series of adventures, uh, and then the next critical part in their relationship is when they're on seemingly one of the the last tasks they have to complete to destroy all the hydra bases uh where they're they end up on a on a speeding train and and what happens on that that train Madeline?
1: oh high drama and i do mean high because they're on this train like a bullet train through the alps and it seems to be hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air i <laughs> I wasn't aware of such technology existing in World War II, but I guess if you're Hydra, it does. Uh, so they're on the two of them, Steve and Bucky, zipline onto the train, and uh, they're fighting, you know, various baddies uh, in a quest to get a MacGuffin, basically. And um, in the course of the battle, Bucky is thrown from the train. And he is hanging on to the side of it, sort of flapping in the wind. And Steve's trying to drag him in, yelling, you know, take my hand, take my hand. But alas, Bucky falls, presumably to his death, because it's a long way down. Uh, And Steve is sad momentarily. And then he moves on to deal with a bunch of other things that happen in that movie. He gets what he's looking for basically ends up having to go on a suicide mission to destroy the thing and uh, crashes his plane in the Arctic, presumably again, dying. But of course, all of that changes (laughs) when we uh, head into the other films.
0: Yes. So those are sort of the beats of of Steve and Bucky in the first movie. We then move into Bucky's next appearance, not Steve's next appearance, and we're not going to cover the Avengers movie he appears in that Bucky does not. So next time Bucky pops up uh, is Captain America, the winter soldier. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one is directed by the Russo brothers who will go on to direct all of the other movies that captain America appears in that we will be talking about and written again by Marcus and McFeely. So this comes out in 2014 and basically Bucky comes back as this character, the winter soldier, who is an assassin
1: that has been active for a long time. Yeah, like since the 60s. So it's kind of a shock when it turns out to be good old Bucky.
0: Yes, he's wearing a mask through like the beginning of the movie, and then uh, they're on a bridge having a confrontation. The
1: mask drops away, and Steve goes, Bucky? And Bucky's sort of like... Who's Bucky? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So upon learning that the Winter Soldier is his good friend Bucky, who Steve has a lot of guilt about what happened, about letting his friend die, even though,
1: of course, it wasn't really his fault. But Steve is the type to feel responsible for everyone else.
0: Yes. Uh, His new friend Sam says to Steve, uh, the way that Bucky is now, I'm not sure he's the kind of guy you save.
1: Uh, Which, of course, Steve can't accept, because Steve is the, you know no lost causes type of person.
0: Yeah. And the ramification for Bucky upon seeing Steve is he does kind of remember him. So there's a part after they have that confrontation where they take the winter soldier back to their Hydra lab. Cause he's a Hydra agent now. And Bucky is like, I know that man. I remember him. <laughs> Oh. And it's able to, again, kind of break through his brainwashing. Uh, Steve did it in the first movie when he, he comes to save him. And again, even though he's been brainwashed for 40 plus years at this point, right. still Steve's presence saying, Bucky, is, is enough to like jog something. So they end up mm-hmm. wiping his memory again because they're like, we can't have you having emotions about
1: (laughs) that's the opposite of what we need for an assassin
0: yes and so that movie all kind of culminates in a last fight between the two of them uh uh and a couple of kind of important beats for their relationship happen in that fight as well um i would say the first is as they're having their confrontation they're kind of fighting in an airship that's partially made out of glass and there are parts where the glass is broken and as he's trying to engage with bucky steve's shield which is sort of the representation of his identity as captain america drops through the glass into like i don't know what that body of water the potomac
1: (laughs) yeah Um, i think it might be the Potomac.
0: and he doesn't even notice right it's not oh, like he because he's so focused on Bucky it's not like he's like oh no my shield he's just he's talking to Bucky um and that is also sort of like the classic trope of one of them is fighting Bucky's punching Steve in the face and Steve just won't fight back and Bucky's like why won't you fight back and Steve of course at that point tells him I'm with you till the end of the line
1: <laughs> and you know years
0: two two movies in we're like he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they end up both also then falling through the glass. Cause this airship is now
1: blowing up. It's a wild ending, but anyway, they're both in the water and um, Steve is, is he passed out or what? Yeah, he's, he's, sort he's sort of unconscious. hes unconscious Bucky's in the water. Him in the face a, a lot. He did get punched in the face a lot, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, and so the two of them have fallen into the water. Steve's unconscious and Bucky, sort of uh, acting out of instinct pulls him from the water and saves his life and then walks off to go become Jason Bourne he's basically <laughs> Jason Bourne he doesn't remember his past but he
0: knows that he doesn't want to do anything bad that's that's kind of where Bucky's at
1: yep perhaps I- in the next film he can help you know discover who he is
0: yeah I'm and who he wants to be—that's
1: <laughs> mm, really what it's all about.
0: So, what's our what's our next movie for for Cap and Bucky?
1: Well, next we have the most, probably the most important movie in terms of the content for this ship. We have Captain America: Civil War, uh, as we've said already, directed by the Russos, written by Marcus and McFeely. In this film, we're starting off at kind of a different point for the Avengers. There's tension. For all of these folks, because of various world events uh, that we won't go into because they're complicated, but we start in a place where the Avengers are sort of having to choose sides um, on a, a particular issue, and yes. it's putting particularly Steve and Tony Iron Man on opposite sides of the issue. So complicating all of this. At the beginning of it, there is uh, an explosion at the UN when the King of Wakanda is giving a speech and he ends up dying. And the only evidence they can find about who would have perpetrated this terrible act is some grainy security footage of seemingly the Winter Soldier, (laughs) who, if you'll recall from the last movie, (laughs) is Buggy Barnes. So Steve obviously does not take this news well, and also doesn't really believe that, you know, he could be doing this unless he's been brainwashed again, or like there's some sort of extenuating circumstance. Right. Because Bucky would never. So Steve takes it upon himself to go find his man and sort out what is happening.
0: Yes. So he he learns that Bucky is in Romania uh, and he goes there to to find him and, and bring him in. Uh, when he arrives at Bucky's apartment, he's searching through his stuff and he finds a, a notebook and he opens up that notebook and what is inside it? It's a photo of himself. Bucky has a photo of Steve tucked into a little notebook.
1: can you believe this it's so sentimental and
0: sweet but uh of course the the law (laughs) catches up with them hot on his heels is the law if we're drawing comparisons with jason bourne there is then a staircase fight in this movie
1: is it as good not
0: quite
1: as good as the staircase fight from jason bourne but well from the board identity better than anything in jason bourne oh I don't I don't know what you mean. Jason Bourne. I've never heard of that. Yeah. That's not a part of my canon. But yeah, still a good staircase fight. Memorable, I think. It's
0: a couple of events in between, but essentially they're on the run together. Uh also with Steve's new friend Falcon, who is always around.
1: (laughs) He is always around. Yeah.
0: You just can't avoid him. No. And of course the famous airport fight scene happens. It's not really germane to this particular conversation, so we're not going to But it talk is about a it. delightful fight. It is really good. Um, so as Steve and Bucky uh, get out of that airport conflict, they're on the, the jet together to go to Siberia to resolve the, the, one of the plots of the film. Uh, and Bucky and him are having a conversation about uh, why they're doing this. And Bucky says to Steve, I'm not sure I'm worth all of this. And bless Chris Evans, he has the most pained expression on his face of just like the way you feel when your loved one is like, I'm not worth, I'm not, I'm not a worthwhile person. He's like, you're worth everything.
1: Oh, yeah. So anyway, they get to Siberia. Eventually, it seems to take a really long time because also arriving in Siberia is Tony, who uh, originally had wanted to fight Bucky, but has since learned some information and had a change of heart, realized that Bucky's not responsible for killing the king of Wakanda. So he shows up. Unfortunately, the villain of the film has nefarious plans to, you know, have Steve and Tony at each other's throats. So he shows them video that uh, the Winter Soldier is responsible for killing Tony's family back in the day, his mom and dad. Tony freaks out. Understandably, it leads to a much less delightful, still good, but more emotionally wrenching fight between um, Tony, who wants to kill Bucky and Steve, who will do anything to stop him from killing Bucky.
0: So a couple of important outcomes right from this fight. Uh, Steve essentially ends up
1: winning. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and as he's uh, finished, finishing up this confrontation with Tony, he says to Tony, He's my friend.
1: And Tony says, so was I, which is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but the other important thing is, again, with this, the shield, which, of course, once again, right, is this representation of his identity as Captain America. And unlike in uh, The Winter Soldier, where it falls away, incidentally, Tony specifically says, you don't deserve that shield. Leave it behind. My father made that for you. And Steve, again, very explicitly in this case, then makes the choice between Bucky and his identity as Captain America and his role in the world and his like sense that he needs to be helping people. But right, is Bucky. He leaves the shield behind. Um, oh, that's they love I each have. other so
1: much. It's, it's nice. End
0: of Captain America: Civil War.
1: <laughs> so, then obviously, lots of films happen. Uh, lots of events transpire in the universe of Marvel. And we find ourselves at Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, which I think in the interest of brevity, we will lump together because the Stucky moments in them are not super numerous. So in Infinity War, obviously we're not going to get into the plot here, but (laughs) there's a a lot has happened. And um, Bucky, who uh had been chilling in Wakanda while they worked on deprogramming him, um, meets up with Steve again, who comes to Wakanda, because the whole team is, you know, Avengers are assembling, basically. The two of them are reunited. They hug, but it's like nothing... Super dramatic in the way that you think it would be, which is explained by the Russos in an interview that I saw where they talk about how obviously this isn't the first time the two of them are seeing each other. They've kept in contact because if it were the first time they'd seen each other in years, it would have been a much more dramatic reunion. (laughs) Things happen, yada, yada, yada. Bucky ends up getting dusted with half of humanity. Yes, and i believe as he's as this is happening he's basically like saying steve as it's happening <laughs> because who else would it be thinking about in that moment then what happens because well, lots of unrelated events
0: yes so that's pretty much the end of course of infinity war uh but we're in the same situation right where steve has to find a way to save bucky
1: mm-hmm.
0: again and of course, all of the characters in Endgame have had people that they've lost, that they care about, that they want to bring back. And so if we're not going to explain the plot of Infinity War, we're definitely not going to explain the plot of Endgame. <laughs> not worth it, folks. Um, but kind of two important things probably for Bucky and Steve happen. When they're doing the time travel, uh, Of the first place that Steve goes back to is... Uh, battle of new york from the first avengers movie he gets into again another delightful fight uh with his past self and he says to himself because past steve is winning and future steve says to himself what can i do to win this fight how can i distract me from the past and his go-to
1: his bucky is alive
0: and doesn't work
1: Oh, hell yeah. Nothing is more distracting than that to young Steve. Uh,
0: So he's able to win the fight. Uh, The next important moment comes at the end of the film, really. Uh, The Avengers, of course, have won. Uh, They have defeated Thanos, but they need to go back and return all of the Infinity Stones to where they took them from in the past. To not so
1: to avoid time travel
0: continuity problems. So Steve is the one who's going to be going back and replacing the stones. Uh, as he's getting up on the, the portal to do that, he and Bucky hug goodbye. And and if you are seeing the movie for the first time, you think to yourself, "Well, he's going to be back in 15 seconds. I don't know why." Yeah, what's the big up. deal, guys? Uh, but then Steve doesn't come back. He he misses his his jump site or whatever they call it yeah whatever <laughs> um, and falcon who is again there uh always. he's always there it's like where is he Paul, get him back and bucky kind of nods out into the distance and they see a, a man sitting on a bench and uh who could that be so uh bucky and falcon walk over to this man on the bench and and who is it looks like joe biden it does, but it's not Joe Biden. It's old Steve. He decided to to stay back in time and live out his life with a, we do find out, with Peggy. Um, has, we haven't talked
1: about it yet, but we will.
0: We will. And he has a conversation with Falcon. He ends up giving Falcon the shield. Everyone is waiting for him to have a last conversation with
1: Bucky. Right. You You think Bucky tells Falcon, oh, yeah, you go over and have your moment with him. You know, expecting he'll get the final moment because he's the most important person, right?
0: Right. But he finishes up his conversation with Falcon. Hard cut. It's the 1950s. He's with Peggy. That's the end of the movie. And you're like, but what's happening with him and Bucky?
1: Yeah, that's a little jarring.
0: It definitely was. Um, so do we want to talk a little bit about that
1: ending now, do you think? About, yeah, about- sure. Yeah, okay. How we feel about it as an ending for this pairing yes um we won't get too much into you know the intentions of the creators or whatever though i I will give you a teaser that uh they all claim obviously that there's no romantic tension between these characters intentionally they're meant to play as sort of brothers um but even accepting that which i'm i'm willing to play their game and accept that uh it still feels like not really an ending. Like, what is the last beat for the two of them who have, they've spent four, five movies now proving over and over again that these guys are like the most important people in the world to each other. They choose each other over the world every time. They're supposed to be hugely important to each other, right? Even if they're brothers, they're close, close brothers. (laughs) And they get no goodbye scene or like a something to wrap it up uh, and I it just feels a little strange that you don't get that final beat for them what do you think of it it does it feels like a misstep so uh,
0: especially watching it for the first time in the theater that that hard cut to the 1950s and then the movie just being over is is really jarring and what it does feel like right is so we do have that hug which feels weird in the moment mm-hmm. but I think potentially leave
1: space to imply I think it, it does imply that Bucky it does imply was- looking back yes I think the implication is the two of them already discussed this Bucky knows he's not coming back that's why they hug goodbye but the discussion just happened off camera for whatever reason seemingly right. the reason is just to keep it a surprise to the audience that Steve's <laughs> not coming back yes which
0: I think we would both agree is that final surprise isn't really necessary. What would have been more emotionally satisfying is feeling like we got a conclusion to the Bucky Steve relationship because we have so much time with these characters together. I want to see
1: them talk about it. How does Bucky feel about this? Like I understand the, that we live in a real world that these movies exist in and The reason these things happen, that Steve has a final scene with Sam so that he can give him his shield and anoint him the new Captain America. And the reason Bucky has to still be around is because there's a Disney Plus series coming out this year called uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. (laughs) But in terms of just making a satisfying narrative... Why would we not want to see them talk to each other? I want to know how Bucky feels. Because isn't there a w- world where the two of them go back and live out their lives in the past the way that they were supposed to? And they get to be best friends and Steve can be with Peggy and Bucky can be, you know, the third in their polyamorous <laughs> relationship? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or whatever. Like, wouldn't Doesn't he want to have both Peggy and his best friend that he's always, like, pledging himself to forever and ever? Right. That's and- all. And- Aren't they supposed to be together till the end of the line? I think so. Uh, yeah.
0: And I think, right, without the the outside world of we're having Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a Disney Plus series, you could still write a scene where the characters are able to explain why Bucky can't go back. So the thing that I this always reminds me of the most is the end of Lord of the Rings where Frodo... Mm-hmm leaves Sam Um, because in a similar way when I was young and I read those books that always that part I was so angry at the end of that movie I was like how can you leave each other you've been together forever so devoted to each other what's happening yeah but I can have this the similar narrative in my mind where Bucky has been so damaged by all of his experience he's like I can't go back and just live a a normal quiet life like I'm not capable of it and Steve then does have to to choose and Bucky says you know you saved me and I'm going to be fine now, and like yeah. I think that's still a good conversation for them to have, and would be, would you say more emotionally satisfying?
1: That would have been that? hugely emotionally satisfying, right? But Bucky saying, "Steve, you saved me, and now it's time for you to, for me to save you, basically, right? Like for you to go do what will make you happiest, and know that I'm gonna be okay." Yeah. I don't know. but would have been we got, nice.
0: We got nothing. We got a, a hug and we <laughs> went, I guess, they decided they were fine, but I would like a little bit more. So, yeah, uh, as you know, stepping back as much as I loved Endgame and I and I did.
1: I think it did a lot of things well. It was hard for it to do everything well because it was trying to do so many things. But it just feels like a shame for that to be the final beat when it is. It does
0: feel like such a misstep but yeah. i think that does lead us into because we do also want to talk a little bit about because we've been so focused on bucky and steve his relationships with the women in his life right so he does yes. decide to end up with uh peggy uh and i think one thing we want to bring up is so if we end up deciding right that this is an instance of, of queer baiting in our in our question of visit. it uh Queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon—we decide it's queer baiting. Um, Often, a feature of queer baiting relationships is when a creator uh, wants to indicate: no, 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 no. no—the character is is not gay. So they just throw a a woman in the in the man's path, uh, who is a nothing character. She's not developed.
1: (laughs) No, you know, internal life, no existence outside of the male character that they are. You know, presented to. Their only function really is to stand in the path of uh, the guy who, you know, can't stop making eye contact with the other guy in the scene. (laughs) Right.
0: And I think uh, this is an interesting example because with Steve, we have an example of a character like that, and then how you have a female character who is not that. Right. Like an actual character. <laughs> yes. So on the one hand, uh, we have Peggy, who we think is, is not that. And the reason she doesn't fit into that role is because they do spend a lot of time developing her relationship with Steve, developing her as a character. It is clear that Steve thinks about her uh, at various points throughout the story. So at the end of First Avenger, one of the reasons that movie doesn't feel maybe as romantic as the subsequent movies is because Bucky falls to his death. And Steve is sad, but then he moves on. But the sort of last beat of that movie is him having this very emotional goodbye with Peggy. Mm-hmm. Peggy crops up a lot throughout the story. Um,
1: but on the other hand... Uh, We have uh, Sharon Carter. (laughs) Sharon Carter, who is one of these characters we were talking about with no uh, character development, basically. We'll be referring to them in the series as no homo ladies. (laughs) These women that are just thrown in the paths of the men to prevent them from being accused of being gay. So Sharon is an interesting case. She um, first crops up in The Winter Soldier, as Steve's next-door neighbor or something in his apartment building, who... Um, a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that's... is a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and <laughs> Natasha, Black Widow, is very invested in the two of them dating for some unknown reason. <laughs> she wants Steve to not be lonely. She's decided he should be with Sharon, so she pushes them together for the length of that movie. Uh, Unfortunately... They have less than no chemistry. (laughs) So it feels super weird the whole way through. She is not hugely important in that movie, but she she has more of a role in um, Civil War. Because when Civil War happens, she sort of joins Team Cap and she helps him, you know, escape from uh, like she helps him and Bucky go on the run together. Yeah, so she has all the qualities we talked about. She doesn't exist really outside of her scenes with Steve. We don't really know anything about her. Um, From his side, it doesn't seem like he's spending a lot of time thinking about her existence in any scene that they're not in together. And she just sort of gets thrown in front of him. And we don't really have the same
0: scenes of them making an emotional connection. And the closest thing we get to that is the realization that she's Peggy's niece which is mostly oh. weird and it's a
1: disaster why would no, anyone it's make that choice for her well i mean it's not but maybe it is right because he eventually goes back and lives a life with peggy in the past they could literally be related no because if, if it's peggy's
0: grandniece, that's like one of her siblings okay yeah yeah so, yeah. so they could not but it still feels it, it feels, feels like gross. they're related it feels like you would feel about Dating someone and then dating their grandniece,
1: which is creepy. It's really creepy. (laughs) It's really weird. Why anyone decided that was a good idea? I couldn't tell you. Plus, we get from the two of them the most awkward kiss in the entire MCU under an overpass for some reason. It's not.
0: It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And the weird thing about that kiss, too, right, is if we think about this idea that the character doesn't exist away from the other characters in the movie, like Falcon and Bucky are also
1: there. (laughs) They sure are. They're sitting in a car together watching it happen. So it's really not a separate moment
0: for Steve in this character. And it's so integrated into him going on the run with Bucky.
1: Yeah. It's freaking bizarre. Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, sure.
1: but I like Peggy. Peggy's Peggy's great. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, this sort of leads into a phenomenon I was thinking about when we were discussing this earlier. The the way that they use Peggy and Sharon in these films seems sort of linked to how things are going with the Stucky relationship as the films are building, right? Mm -hmm. Because Stucky feels like sort of minor in the first movie that you have a lot of Peggy in because you're devoting most of the energy of Steve's romantic life to caring about Peggy, right? And then in um, Winter Soldier, Peggy is old. She's on her deathbed. She hardly exists in it. And we start to build up the emotional development of the Stephen Bucky relationship in that one. And then by the time we reach um, civil war, Peggy's dead and the Stephen Bucky romance is sort of at an all time high. But interestingly in that film where we are devoting the most emotional energy to Stephen Bucky's relationship, they're also really trying to hit hard Sharon, this no homo lady character who all of a sudden is just everywhere and it's like, why is she here if not to distract us from the fact that all of the actual emotional weight of the story is in the Stephen Bucky relationship. It's it's a fascinating phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, and it's, right, it's,
0: I don't think it's why the Peggy, not the Peggy character, why the Sharon character doesn't feel like she works, but yeah, it's interesting to see those two things happening at the same time. So I think, right, essentially there, you just you also just kind of walk through like how Steve and Bucky's relationship develops over the movies, and it clearly starts. I think I think it is fair to say that it starts off maybe non-romantic. So if the only Captain America movie that existed was the first Avenger, I'm not sure
1: that they would be as heavily shipped as they ended up being. Right. Um, they definitely we, would still be shipped because they're white guys who are friends in a piece of media. <laughs> right. But that's a conversation for another day. But as their relationship develops and it becomes
0: more emotional and we start to see all these romantic beats throughout their
1: relationship. The shipping intensifies the, because we start to get into some real tropey romance going on. So in Winter Soldier, we're very much... Um, in this trope of like a savior storyline where one of them, you know, is like Steve is having to save Bucky from this terrible thing that's happened to him. Plus we've got this brainwashing thing going on where the, the emotional connection between Steve and Bucky is the only thing able to break Bucky out of his brainwashed state, which is a hugely romantic trope that you'll see over and over. Um, And then also, in that one, as I discussed, the lack of Peggy and the fact that Sharon doesn't feel like a viable romantic interest for him is right. really leaving everything on Stephen Bucky to, to pull you through that movie.
0: Yes. And, and then, then once the yeah. is even more tropium, more romantic, I it, mean, they're it, running it is away the born identity. It. Yeah, <laughs> we brought it up a couple times, but uh, it pretty much is. And, you know, all we're missing is the scene in the hotel room where they, they cut Bucky's hair. but And uh, diet. I wish that they'd done that
1: scene, man. It would have fit right in. And they could they, have fit it in. They should have been like sharing grungy motel rooms together on the run. Like I, Those are the scenes that happen between the scenes in my mind. Yeah. Because as we discussed, it takes them a long time to get to Siberia. There's a clear time gap because
0: they leave on a jet to go to Siberia, and then Tony, from the conflict at the airport, goes back to New York from Germany, is able to have enough time to then have a conversation with Natasha. He then learns that the doctor who was supposed to interrogate Bucky actually died. And then he goes to the RAF prison, which is in the middle of the ocean somewhere. <laughs> and then he goes to Siberia and he seemingly arrives
1: minutes after they do. Yeah. So- and you're telling me Steve and Bucky were not spending the intervening time washing each other's hair? <laughs> Yeah.
0: There's something happening in that time gap. They did not go straight from Germany to Siberia and get there at the same time as Tony. Mhm. Suspicious. Yes. So, I think unless there's there's something you think we missed, this is sort of the text of the movie and I, you know, there's a lot of there there. There's a lot of legitimate romantic moments between these two. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, one thing we're going to do, and I think we're going to do this for all of our discussions is then get into like, what are the creators saying about this relationship and what are the fans saying about this relationship and what are the two groups saying to each other? Yeah. Um, and so for this one, what, what are the creators saying about the Steve and Bucky relationship? Are they acknowledging what they've been doing?
1: Yeah. Well, in this case, it's what they're saying is actually pretty minimal, um there's not anything really from joe johnston on specifically the ship of steven bucky we have a little bit of commentary from him about how they had to alter bucky's character when they were making this movie because i guess in the comic books he's really more of like robin to steve's batman um but nothing about the the two of them being shipped because why would anyone ask the director of First Avenger about that one. It's so minimal. Uh, the Russos obviously are aware of these characters getting shipped. They've been asked about it. They sort of joke about it. They will go to the point of of calling these movies love stories. They sort of jokingly play into it. But when pressed, uh, they're pretty adamant the, the two are supposed to be like brothers. And, you know, it is what it is. Don't ask me about romance, basically. <laughs> Um, And then we get a similar sort of vibe from our actors, Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan, both, you know, see it as a brotherly relationship. So even though there's a lot of text to support it, we don't really have a lot of discussion from the creators or between the fans and creators about this specific phenomenon.
0: Right. But I think it makes sense, right? So one of the things that might be driving the questions is there's a general lack of representation in the MCU. Um, Very much so. Of course, like I guess many of franchise now they they promised in the last movie we would finally get some LGBTQ representation. Uh, And it was
1: uh, uh, not satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Underwhelming. Uh, They do the thing that everyone does now that's like, we've heard your complaints. We know that you want representation and we're going to deliver. Just you wait and then you get to the movie and it's a guy in a support group mentioning the fact that he had a boyfriend who is now dead. Yes. (laughs) They've managed to bury their gays that aren't even named characters. So that's sort of the context in which these discussions are happening. And even though we'll get into specifically the, the tenor of the conversation in the fandom, but you can sort of understand why people are clamoring for it because there is this vacuum of representation within the entire MCU, not just for queer characters, but for, you know any number of types of underrepresented characters. Yeah. But first, before we get into that, let's dig into a little bit of the literature. <laughs> so when we talk about the the literature, there's sort of two categories we're going to get into. We're going to talk about fan works and stuff that's being produced by members of fandom. And then we're going to talk about if there is any scholarly literature and the way that academia is sort of thinking and talking about either specific fandoms or like fandom and fan creation in general. So the way that we will dive into talking about fan works um, will be generally through the lens of this website, Archive of Our Own, also called AO3, which is just a sort of the premier website out there right now to aggregate fan fiction for any fandom you could possibly think of, and some that you would never think of. <laughs> it's fascinating to go in there and scroll sometime. Um, but they uh, are a good gauge of um, like which ships are the most popular, what what people are writing the most things about, what people are talking about, that sort of thing. So every year, helpfully, they release a list ranking um, all of the ships on the website. The top hundred of which they tell you you know, in terms of how much has been written in each ship, they rank them. And the Stucky ship is the fourth most popular ship on this list from the last year. So that's pretty people popular. are writing a lot of fan fiction about these guys. Uh, that adds up to about 46, 47,000 works of fiction on the site for the two of them. They're the most common ship in the MCU by pretty large margin i think it's a popular it's a mainstream ship
0: yeah i was a little surprised that there was not as much activity around other ships because there's so many male characters in the mcu but i think potentially that's reflective of how again intense and sort of romantic the emotional beats of the steve and bucky relationship are in the text like right
1: as there's fan, so much there, there. Care, there less labor to get them <laughs> there. You don't have to do any labor at all. All you have to do is, is give me the inner monologue of the characters as they're doing all of these inherently romantic things together. Yes. So, to just as a fun way to get a teeny little sample of the fic, I think we'll make it a tradition to read the I don't want to say most popular, I'll say the fic with the most kudos um, in each fandom. And so for Stucky... We have a pretty adorable little fic is the is the most popular one. Um, it's called, I believe, Mistake on the Part of Nature. And it has to do with a bananas, if you'd believe it. Bananas. Uh, it's bananas. It is set in an amorphous timeline. I'm not really sure if it's supposed to be post-canon because obviously Steve wouldn't be around post-canon, but... I couldn't tell you when it is. Either way, Steve and Bucky are both, for some reason, living with Sam. Um, And the main plot of it is Bucky tastes a banana and, and realizes it's disgusting and doesn't taste like he remembers bananas tasting when he grew up. And this is fun fact i don't know if people know this uh a real phenomenon because the bananas of yesteryear are actually a different type of banana than we have now and all, they all they were called grow Michel bananas and because of a fungus they all died off and they had to start selling a different kind of banana whereas we learn most of them died off because you can still import them from like the philippines That's true. You can get them from some places, but it's pricey, man. Cost prohibited. Yes. Cost prohibitive bananas. Anyway, he he thinks the banana tastes gross. Then they realize that the fake banana flavor that everybody hates because it doesn't taste anything like bananas actually tastes like what bananas used to taste like. And so Steve, in an effort to help out his pal, uh, drops everything, runs out to go buy banana flavored candy. And um, then, you know some some relationship discussion between Sam and Bucky and Suze and, you know, hijinks and whatever they get together in the end. But it's just sort of a sweet, fluffy little fic. And uh, I guess it's worth talking about as we go forward, the nature of what is the most popular fic on the, on the site. And if that sort of speaks to... The the nature the tone the right. the Our vibe impression. of the fandom yeah Fanda. of course the dark
0: subtext of that fanfic is the entire time he was the Winter Soldier they didn't let him eat any bananas because they would have had the same bananas in Russia and as mm-hmm. we also learned
1: russian a lot of bananas in in russia we looked up the actual you know how much they're importing and it's not insignificant i think it was an effort to you know keep up with the mind control like he they can't have him experiencing any any joy he probably ate to soylent or something
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah for this fan fiction right uh I think we can talk actually a little bit now about like our impression of the MCU fandom and the relationship with the creators, which is it's not the most toxic fandom generally. I think people are generally happy with the products that come out of the MCU. And as a result, um, there's not a lot of general antagonism between the fans and the creators. And in this particular case, there doesn't also seem to be uh like the portion of the fandom that's shipping uh really consistently pushing and yelling and being sort of aggressive with any of the creators about wanting their ships to be canon and maybe that's because the MCU fan fandom is so large yeah that, like there's a million different voices a million different concerns if you were to go to a con it's not a monolith of yeah the type of questions that are being asked so it's like one voice of many, even if people are individually pushing for... um, Right.
1: It's just a small interest group in a whole huge group of many, many different interest groups. There are just too many characters. You can't ever... The fandom can't speak with one voice on these things because there's too many characters, too many opinions, too many different things to be cared about. Right. And also that speaks to the fact that it is... A huge fandom. This is a massively mainstream work of fiction and also a mainstream group of fans. There's nothing niche about Marvel. I was listening. I can't even remember what podcast it was,
0: but I was listening to an old episode where, like, one of the hosts had seen Endgame and the other hadn't. And they were commenting about how good the internet was being about not having Endgame spoilers. And it was like the one thing that could bring America together is everyone agreed <laughs> don't spoil Endgame. <laughs> oh,
1: wow. Have you so, never yeah. see the internet working together like that. Broad coalition of, of fans. Uh, in in the MCU. Hmm. Um. Well, before we wrap up the the literature section, do we want to dip our toe at all into any sort of scholarly literature? I know we yeah. didn't find a ton specifically about the MCU.
0: Right. So I think for some of the the ships we'll be talking about in the future, because of the nature of the ship or the nature of the fandom, there's a lot of scholarly literature about the shipping specifically. But that wasn't so much the case for the MCU. Um, but this is probably a good opportunity, this being our first podcast, for us to start diving into this question of like, wherefore for fan fiction? <laughs> <laughs> Why are people attracted to fan fiction? Why are they writing it? And I think, you know, we talked at the, at the top in our intro and what will be like episode zero about... I'm not a person who is naturally drawn to reading fan fiction, so I'm sort of generally interested in like the theory of fandom and fan fiction, like because I don't have that yeah. immediate emotional response. Um, so one sort of theory of fan fiction and why people are attracted to fan fiction that I think is relevant to this and probably all the things we're going to cover is what we said at, uh, a little earlier about there's a lack of representation in mainstream media. So we found this piece uh, by Diana Fogel, uh from Rutgers called "Write the Story You Want to Read: World Queering Through Slash Fanfiction Creation," uh, and the piece is set up uh, with it's pretty qualitative interviews with fanfiction writers, and they do talk at length about um, wanting to see representation of queer characters, but also the act of reading and writing fanfiction helping them work through their queer identities because there isn't enough. Um, again, mainstream media out there to, to kind of allow them to question and see different perspectives represented. So, um, you know, that, that strikes me as obviously a clear value of fan fiction, and it does end up. It makes a lot of sense. It
1: makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, people want to see themselves represented. Uh, they always do.
0: Um, so we'll keep that in mind, too, as we move forward, as we start to sort of build different theories of, of why people are attracted uh, to fan fiction. And just
1: to put a button on the um, the conversation about specifically the nature of this fandom and how it feels sort of generally friendly, <laughs> very mainstream, not a lot of antagonism. Um, a, a theory I have that I'm interested to track as we go through this is just thinking about the difference If there is any sort of inherent difference between movie and television show fandoms, because in my mind, um, just in the way that I experience like my own involvement in movie and television show fandoms, I think that fans of television shows often feel sort of more involved in the process of creating the fiction. Because the way that people are producing movies is usually somebody goes off, they write a script, nobody even knows they're writing the script a lot of the time, then all of a sudden the movie's made, it's out, and that's often the end of it. Most of the time with a movie, you're not expecting there to be 12 more movies like there are in the MCU, where it sort of functional functionally is its own series. Um, but there's just not really room in that process for fans to weigh in. And when you're writing a television show, oftentimes, especially with how connected people are now via social media and whatever, fans can be telling the the showrunner of a television show, you know, character X and character Y should be together as they're writing the season where potentially character X and Y could get together, right? There's just much more of a space for fans to weigh in, whether or not creators are listening to that. But it sort of is hard for me to imagine that they're not listening to it. Whether or not they're receptive is another question. Um, And they might be hearing what the fans say and thinking, well, fuck that. Let's do the opposite, which is its own, you know, sad issue. But it's hard to deny that there's more of a dialogue seemingly between television writers and television fans than there is between movie fans and movie writers which leads me to question you know is there does that mean that fans of movies feel like slightly less involved or passionate or you know whatever dedicated to the cause
0: kind of tracking both how like the fan fiction relates to the nature of the fandom we might also uh track how vocal the fans of these movie series are and how, if if it has any impact right on, on the movie series. And um, I guess we'll, we'll find out, but yeah, something else to keep uh, a.
1: To keep in mind going forward.
0: Yes. So I think that's our Stucky discussion and and brings us to the question we're going to ask. I think it's time time for the question. (laughs) So Stucky, is it queer baiting, queer coding or queer canon?
1: Natty? Uh, I mean, they've provided themselves a little bit of wiggle room with the way they talk about it, but in my mind, it's queer baiting. It, they are aware of what is happening. They know how people feel about these characters, and maybe they're not leaning into the ship, but they're definitely not leading away from it. Uh, it just feels to me like there's too much canon support for the relationship for it to not be at least a little bit of queer baiting because, you know, if you're really like, guys, guys, they're not romantically interested in each other. Why are you writing the born identity? You know, (laughs) what about you?
0: What do you think? I agree. I think it is, it is queer baiting. I think there's too much uh, there, there, uh in the text for it not to be I guess right the only caveat is that Peggy is at least also a real character so it's not as as bad as I think some of the examples that we're going to see um, right. but I mean they really seem like they're in love and here's the thing though too right he can be in love with both Bucky and Peggy and make a real choice between them. So that's
1: in my mind. Yes. This is a story where he has two romantic interests and has to choose between them. Right. And if you, if you made that the text of the story, then you would get your interesting moments where he and Bucky have to have their goodbye because he's choosing Peggy and like somehow Bucky has to be involved in that process. Right. Right. Um,
0: I think another way we might think about this question, too, is the, the gender swap test. Oh, I love the gender swap test. <laughs> so if you gender swapped Bucky, would Steve and Bucky be a couple?
1: Absolutely. One. And you cannot talk me out of it. I, I will say going forward, there will probably be cases where it's easier to gender swap one of the characters where you would have to change absolutely nothing about the story to have it make sense the fact that we're in the 40s and we're in world war ii means you have to do like a little bit of finagling to make that scenario work but i think the way to think about it is just imagine that bucky is Peggy right so Bucky the character doesn't exist and Peggy the character is who she is but she and Steve grew up together they were basically siblings and you know they're each other's best friends as children the two of them get into the war effort the same way that they each did in canon and then Peggy presumably dies comes back as an awesome assassin with a metal arm so cool can you imagine uh, and then you know all of the ensuing brainwashing, born identity, all of that business happens. I there's no way that the two of them are not making out by civil war. It would just again be the born identity. We would have gotten those scenes with them in the hotel
0: room. That's what would yep. have happened, um, but they were cut. Uh, I yeah, I completely agree. I think you know it. The other changes, probably like the Peggy and the Tommy Lee Jones character get collapsed into just, you know, the, the stern general and it would be fine. So we agree it's queer baiting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, why do we think this isn't canon? Uh, I think there are probably a few different hypotheses and, you know, perhaps a little bit of each of these, you know, le- lent themselves to why this happened. Um, first of all, I think probably the most legitimate argument is Peggy exists, right? Peggy (laughs) is a legitimate character. They have chemistry. They care about each other. They they put a lot of effort into developing that relationship. Maybe not as much effort as they put into developing the Stephen Bucky relationship, considering how much screen time is given to those two. But they did try, right? And so I understand and value the argument that, like, well, there's Peggy, and he's supposed to be with Peggy, and that's why he picked Peggy. My question to that is just... Why did we focus so much on Stephen Bucky then? But <laughs> uh, I think that's probably a pretty fair argument. Yes. Then we have what I think is a, a much less reasonable argument that you will hear a lot from various corners um, whenever some sort of source material is turned into a movie or a television show or whatever. And that's the argument that Captain America in the comic book source material has never been canonically queer. And the characters were created in the 60s and they were all supposed to be straight. And so they should still be straight in the movies. And in my mind, I don't know about yours, (laughs) that argument just has no weight. They change
0: a lot of the canon. So they could change this. Why should
1: they be allowed to change Bucky's characterization to make him not like Robin, but they can't make them queer? Right. So that argument, we're not into Nope, that argument's rejected
0: from us. The final argument is probably the truest argument, unfortunately, which is (laughs) corporate interference. Well, maybe not interference, but corporate pressure or Uh, decision-making.
1: Corporate profit structures and incentives. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Uh, Which
0: is... uh, apparently uh, uh, having gay characters in a film that you're trying to sell in China uh, creates difficulties issues because <laughs> so Disney, you know, they're not allowed to show the gay characters. <laughs> yes. So Disney is like, no gay characters. Cause got to sell this movie in China. Cause we make a lot of money in China with these movies. And <laughs> that's yeah probably whether or not, I guess it's also like, independent of Disney, if the Russos and, and Marcus and McFeely would have written that way, who's to say, but yeah, probably had some influence.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say based on everything that they've said and done that they were chomping at the bit to make these characters, you know, canonically in a romance together. I think what is left out of these hypotheses is just the nature of the world being hugely heteronormative and most creators not even really thinking about making non-straight characters.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a valid hypothesis
1: as well. Default <laughs> heteronormativity. This leads us to our own queer rating scale that we have invented. A scale from one to five where five is the most unrepentant, malicious queer baiting you can imagine, and one is I truly have no idea what the fans are talking about. These characters hardly even interact in the canon. (laughs) Are they in a scene together? Exactly. (laughs) So where on this scale would you rate this queer baiting, since we have determined that it is queer baiting?
0: I think there is, again, so much romance in the text. And while the fandom does not seem incredibly aggressive in pushing this, the Russos are aware that it's a question that's being asked. They're they're not completely ignorant to the idea. Um, and they have done that thing of being like, oh, it's a love story, but not yeah. really. Um, then I think I'll give it like a, a three. Maybe it's even just a 2.5, like somewhere in, somewhere in like the mid range. It doesn't feel aggressive on the creator side as well, where they're, they're
1: telling the story
0: to upset people. <laughs>
1: Right. Or to, you know, to wink wink at queer people to make them come watch the movie, but then intentionally like, let's not piss off the straight folks by making them queer. It doesn't seem to be entering into their calculus for how they're writing the characters very much. But I'm with you. I think it's probably about a three somewhere in the middle because of two things, because they do that wink wink. uh, It's a love story thing just because they know that fans are shipping them, which honestly is is like kind of condescending and then also the fact that there's just so much canon like the the romance of winter soldier but mostly civil war is it's just so overt that i can't um i can't say that fans don't know what they're talking about it's there it's all there
0: so our inaugural queer baiting rating Stats gets get the, the three out of five.
1: The <laughs> queer baiting rating. 60%.
0: Um, all right. So that's our, that's our first podcast done. Exciting. I'm oh, excited. Well, I, I feel
1: like I should check in with you since uh-huh. we set up at the beginning that the, the true purpose of the podcast now is to eventually get you to want to read fan fiction. Have we moved you at all in that direction?
0: Uh, I mean, the, the banana fanfic is cute. I will yep. agree, but I don't know <laughs> if, if this is the tipping
1: point. We're going to have to keep seeing. Uh, yeah, honestly, I'm kind of with you on that. As I alluded to earlier, I often find myself not super invested in movie fandoms just because my commitment to them is I watch the movie and I'm like, that was fun. And then I sort of stop thinking about it <laughs> for yeah. the most part. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't I don't find myself rushing out to read more 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 fanfic either. All right. Maybe we'll get them next time.
0: Perhaps. But what are we doing,
1: speaking of next time, right. for our Perhaps next episode? Perhaps not, because what we're doing next time <laughs> is another set of movies made by the same corporate overlords. Uh, we have the, the new trilogy of Star Wars. We'll be talking about Finn and Poe. A.k.a. Finn Poe, a.k.a. Storm pilot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't worry, guys. We won't be calling them that because I don't accept it as their ship name.
0: Um, yeah, I, I agree. I'm not hopeful that that conversation, not to spoil our uh, our opinions about the new Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's going to be the
1: one to really turn me on to fan fiction. But we'll find it, out. It is going to be a fun conversation, though. Yes because there's a lot to say (laughs) just you wait folks
0: so what if people want to get in touch with us
1: i hope they do and they should email us at ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on twitter and tumblr at ltbkpod